So we've just come back from a bit of an extended weekend. Well, we started before the weekend. Uh, visiting my cousin, one of my cousins up in the Northwest. And she had recently found, discovered uh, somewhat of a treasure trove of information about my grandmother, a grandmother that I had only known until about age 12 and really had seen infrequently. I didn't know her husband, my grandfather. He passed away before I was born. But somehow I had actually grown up with more information about my grandfather who had passed rather than my grandmother that had been living. So this treasure trove showed up and it's photos I had never seen. And there are letters that obviously I had never read, the whole correspondence with her family in Minnesota. I mean, and so I just, I was excited to try to get a glimpse and find out a little bit more about her since I didn't have much opportunity as a kid to really interact. And it, it was part of a delightful time. And I, I, with my cousin, and I'm just thinking, there's something in us that wants to know where we are from, what family we belong to, what was that family like? Uh, part of my family has done, not my immediate family, but relatives have done the, you know, the DNA test. You send out a swab and you find out you know, what, what group you're from. And in my sort of mostly Irish family, there isn't too much in the surprise category. But now and again, you get something uh, that's kind of interesting or piques your curiosity. But there's something about wanting to know who we are, what our story of origin is. And that's appropriate for understanding this next section of Romans 8. We're in the middle of a five-part series of Romans 8, which is really the culmination of, of Christ's work in us. You know, Paul has spent a lot of time in the first seven chapters talking about what our situation was. We were hopeless. We were, had literally, well, we did have a prayer, but we had no way of actually being saved, no way of doing anything but dying. And then Christ comes and he offers himself for us. And so Romans 8 is now the kind of, well, what does that really mean? What, what is that, what's that implication for us as individuals? What's the implication for us as a church? And it speaks to both what those implications are and what our security in Christ is. So implicate, you know, how, does, how are we to be who we are now, this new life in Christ? And how do, we, how do we know, how can we have confidence that Christ will always be there while we live for him in this world in which we're called to serve? This is, these are the two questions that Romans 8 is answering. And now we come to the verses that Benny read, verses 7 through 17. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Drop down to verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. For those of us who have been, by God's grace, come to know Jesus, we are now in a different realm, a place where the rules are different. It's the realm of the Spirit, where God lives, no longer in the realm of the flesh. The idea of, of realm is, it's, it's captivating, isn't it? When you think about, okay, well, what, what are the rules? What is, what, who do I belong to? Think of it as citizenship. Like, I'm a member of God's kingdom. By God's grace, I can be there. By God's grace, I just thank him. But what does that mean for how I live today? The realm is something that um, we see God's at God's, God at work very powerfully, though not necessarily always perceptibly. If you've been reading, uh, doing the morning prayer readings over this week, you're, you're reading along with 1 Samuel. 
1 Samuel 5, which is where the Ark of the Covenant gets captured by the Philistines in battle. And they, they're all happy. They take the Ark of the Covenant, the Israelites, where the Ten Commandments are put in, which the Israelites carried into battle. This is how it got captured. The glory of the Lord was not with them because of their sin, but they carried it into battle thinking that it is the power of God, as indeed typically it has been. But the Philistines have captured it. They set up in front of their god, Dagon. And the next day when the Philistines come to find it, Dagon is flat on the stone pavement. They think, oh, little earthquake, we don't know what happened. We put Dagon back up, and we go back to bed the next night, and they wake up, and Dagon has fallen again. His now his hands have been broken off, his feet have been broken off. What's going on? The power of the kingdom of God is still on display, though there is just no visible sign other than this ark. You need a modern translation of that? Think of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, I know there's a new film. I'm not going to go see that. I still like Raiders of the Lost Ark. 40 years old, it's still good. It, is this, it takes that storyline of the Ark of the Covenant, the power of the kingdom of God, the power of the realm of God. And this is the realm, his place of power, that we get to operate in. We don't always see it. That's the point. We, don't, we see what's around us. We see what our, our friends who don't yet know the Lord, they see the same things. But we have, if we're open to, you know, to, to ask the Spirit, Lord, show us what's going on. Show us your power. Show us how you're working in this situation. We realize that we've been called to be in the realm of the Spirit, that He goes before us. What does that realm look like? It's, it's where Christ is, is reigning in our lives and, and through us in the same way He reigned when He was here. That means He shows Himself to be the Lord who is overcoming evil with good. Where he sees disease and destruction, he is providing healing and life. Where he is being cursed, he is responding with blessing. Where he is uh, expressing God's compassion and redemptive love in, in the relationships and situations that he's in. This is how the realm, the rule of God is on display in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And what he calls us to do and equips us to do and privileges us to do through this life in the Spirit that Romans is talking about, this life that we have. So to be in the realm of the Spirit means to be doing the things that Christ is doing, means to be accessing this power that is not necessarily visible at all times, but is always effective. I think it's kind of cool, and I hope you do too. Now, having said that, it can be discouraging at times to labor hard in the things that God has called us to do, you know, relationally, how am I going to be a good spouse? How am I going to, how do I interact with my colleagues at work in a way that is redemptive, that's considerate? I don't want to be a pushover, but I, at the same time, I want to make sure that the Lord is always on display. How am I a good neighbor? These are good, these are questions that occupy us. How do I even contribute to what's going on in this this culture, over time, with the steady pressure of what's going on, these can become challenges and they can become uh, just headwinds that we just don't feel like, how are we ever going to get past these? And I want to exhort us to stay in the realm of the Spirit, but, but and not to, there there's, can be a temptation to just sort of, at times, almost feel overwhelmed, almost like hit a pause button on, well, I'm not sure how to move forward in this realm of the Spirit. Like, I'm not sure what to do in this particular situation. I know I'm not going to be in the realm of the flesh, so there's a temptation to act like that. But the realm of the Spirit, just I've tried. 
as much as I know how to do in that realm, what do I do? And sometimes we just hit pause. Like if you're listening to a podcast, like I can't finish it, I'm just going to hit pause, I'll come back to it later. Sometimes as we walk with the Lord, we just wonder, Lord, what are you up to in our lives? And we don't know. And we hit pause. We're not 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 believing, but we just find it hard to go forward. We feel like we're stuck. And I just want to say, if that's you, uh, that too is a movement of the Spirit. See, the, the, the way the Spirit's being talked about in this passage is not just okay, we're always actively mentally trying to follow where he's leading. It's, to, it's more than that. It's bigger than that. It's, it's the fact that when we are doing the things that Christ has done, it is the Spirit who is at work in us, whether we actually know that at the time or not. So he is in us. He's working his will and his way that we might be more like Christ to other people and at the same time become more like Christ and become more Christ-like. But if we're in that place of being on pause from time to time where we get stuck in those places... I'm always encouraged by the example of John the Baptist, who is preaching, his whole calling is to come and preach that the Messiah is coming. And his winnowing fork is in his hand, says John the Baptist. And then a little bit later in Matthew's account, he's in prison. And later, of course, that'll lead to his beheading and his death. But in prison, he sends his disciples out to Jesus and he says, are you the Messiah? Are you the one, or should we look to somebody else? Why does he ask that? Most commentators think he he asks that question because he's, he's saying, I've been declaring that the Messiah is coming. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He's bringing judgment. He's going to make right all the things that are wrong. He's going to make the rough places smooth. He's going to take names and keep going. And I'm not hearing much about that. That part of the messianic mission, I don't seem, that's not popping up on my radar screen. So I need to send my guys out to your guys and find out what exactly is going on. Sometimes the Messiah, the Jesus that we're believing in and following isn't the whole story. Sometimes what he's actually doing, what we think he's doing in our life or what we don't see him doing in our life or in our world or our situation, that's not the whole story. That's not, you know, the, the judgment and they're making the rough places smooth and putting all things to rights. That'll come later. John still has the right message. He just has the wrong timing. And that can be true in our lives. So Jesus very gently send, says to John's disciples, he says, replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And so when we're tempted to hit pause, it may be just because we fully understand and, you know, what God is doing. Obviously, we don't fully understand what God's doing. And so just to hear that gentle reminder that Jesus gives to his cousin John, that he is actually doing what the Messiah is to do, to come and redeem lives, come to make Uh, come to those that are on the margins of society, come to those that are suffering from the aspects of sin that are in the form of disease and blindness and leprosy. That's the victory that he is bringing in this life. And in the next, he will come the way that John has understood him to be. So sometimes we need to hear that fresh word from the Lord, from his spirit that reminds us of what it means to be in his realm. But also know that 
that there are times where we are legitimately frustrated. We say, okay, Lord, I'm in the realm of the Spirit. I'm not doing the things that I do. I'm not doing them fully as I'd like to. Um, another encouraging word, when I was looking at J.I. Packer, who's written a marvelous book on keeping in step with the Spirit, he says this, every Christian's life is a constant fight against the pressures and pulls of the world, the flesh and the devil. And his battle, and his battle for Christ-likeness, which are the habits of wisdom and devotion and love and righteousness, is as grueling as it is unending. Well, that's pretty cheery, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're as cheered up as I was when I read that. But there's times where we just realize, honestly, let's be honest, there are times when it feels like that, where to do the right thing. It's one thing to be patient when you're going into a meeting with somebody that you know just, just like tests your patience. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to be patient today. And then you get into that meeting and you're like, oh, it's slipping away way too quickly. I'm just not that person that I want to be. Lord, I don't have that level of Christ-likeness. Lord, I need the power of your spirit in that moment. And I want to say in that moment that verses 13 and, and 12 and 13 come and inform us. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The spirit is stronger than we realize. He's more present than we know. He's already figured out the way ahead. He knows, that, he knows every aspect of anxious thought, every concern that we have, every doubt that we have about how something will work out, every sense of confusion, the way that things are opaque. He knows all that. He knows when we get frustrated, and still he has a plan. He knows that our track record isn't as good as we'd like it to be, but he, we are still in the realm of the Spirit because His grace and His forgiveness comes and surrounds us. But I don't want us to leave here tonight thinking that this is just like, okay, well, I need to try harder, pray more. Uh, it's, I don't want us to think it's all about the next level of self-effort because what this passage really brings us to is, is this idea towards the end where the reason that we are in the realm of the Spirit, the huge implication of what that means, the way that we are secure is this, that we are actually in the family of God. Verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation not to the flesh to live according to it. And then goes on, verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit are of God are the children of God. The Spirit who received you received does not make you slaves so that you may fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What encourages me about that, of this passage, when we talk about, Lord, how can I live in your realm? I'm discouraged by the things that I continually fail to do. I'm not sure how you're leading me in my life. Know that what drives us to, to be connected to him and what should encourage us the most is the fact that we belong to his family. That by his spirit, we can call him Abba, Father. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. All those things are true. But what compels us forward is that relationship of love that allows us to say that. He doesn't, he's not the God just of the Old Testament who seems to be remote and unapproachable or only in very specific times can you approach him. 
he's, there's just this term of, of intimacy. Abba is, is just an Aramaic. It's not even translated, but it just means daddy. It's a term of affection. And when you have that affection for someone, motivated more, you're more in touch with what they want. You desire out of the, your response of love to their, to their initiation of love to you to, to live for them. And so what encourages me, what helps me, what helps me not get overly concerned about the constant fight and pressures that J.I. Packer was talking about, which are all true, but I have to come back, and each of us has to come back, to the bedrock reality that the Spirit confirms that we belong to Jesus Christ, His children, that we have a Heavenly Father who always loves us, that to get in touch with that love is what enables us to live, enables us to live in the realm of the Spirit, and to do the things he calls us to do. How do we do that? Um, just one thought on that. I was read, I've been reading a book by David Benner, who's a spiritual director and Christian psychologist, in his book called Surrender to Love. He says the, spirit, the key to spiritual transformation is meeting God in our vulnerability, being open and honest. Our natural inclination is to bring the most presentable parts of ourselves to the encounter with God, but he wants us to bring our whole self to that divine encounter, to trust him enough to meet him in the perfect love of the vulnerability of our shame and our weakness and our sin. Shame and weakness and sin. The very things that we always want to leave at the door when we come into prayer. We're like, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm as good as I can look for you. He's like, no, bring all that stuff in because you're not surprising me. And it's by my love that you can actually be free and let those things go. Shame and sin and are just covers oftentimes for our own sense of weakness, our own inabilities. But God knows that. And his spirit in us confirms that he loves us still and that we belong to his family. So I hope that's encouraging to you as it is to me. The final encouragement that I take from that passage is it says that we are heirs of Christ and co-heirs with one another. See, oftentimes, and this sermon is probably guilty of that so far, it, it almost sounds like an individual kind of direction. But so what God calls us to experience in the way of his love, in the way of his consolation, in the way of, of living out the realm of the spirit rather than the realm of the flesh, comes in community. Each of us could spend, I think, time talking about ways that God has used Christian brothers and sisters at key times in our life, and just in everyday, ordinary times like meeting weekly in a small group or like having coffee on some kind of consistent basis with a friend and just having God's spirit encourage our spirit and vice versa. Back to the power of God. It just looks like an ark. We don't see it being very uh, powerful. It's not a chariot. It's not a spear. But it's the presence of God. It's the love of God that continues to move in us, continues to make us more like his son, continues to allow us to be salt and light in the kingdom to those around us. So I will, later this week, look at a few more photos of my grandma and probably read a few more letters um, because I want to know more about where I'm from, uh, more about what that family history is. And I would pray as we think about Romans 8, as we think about who we are in Christ, as we, that we would get to know our own family, Adopted family. All of us are adopted. Let's get together with siblings in the courtyard after, after church and, and talk about that. That's how God has 
planned us to live. So um, that's my encouragement for today. We have the security knowing that we belong to God's family. We have his spirit in us that continues to allow us to work and live for him, even though it's imperfect. But each day, potentially, it's a little less imperfect. Or there's new challenges that come along. However those things come, however we experience them, know that we have an unshakable God and we live in an unshakable family. Amen.